Hi there, I'm Tom Field. I'm Senior Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. Topic of discussion today is how to put the SEC into DevSecOps. Really pleased to be speaking with Dan Chagru. He's Security Product Marketing Manager at Digital.ai. Dan, thanks so much for taking time to speak with me today. Thanks for having me. So let's start here. We all know that the threat landscape is never going to stop evolving. In your opinion, how has this landscape around which traditional security approaches have been built evolved in just the past two years of pandemic evolution? In a word, uh, digital transformation has happened. And of course, your audience knows that the pandemic has accelerated digital transformation. That means, among other things, um, among a lot of things, actually, that the number of apps that G2000 companies are putting into consumer hands has grown. Uh, for example, according to Okta's 2021 Business at Work report, large organizations, and I'm by large, I mean organizations like AWS or Zoom or Box, deploy an average of 175 consumer and developer-facing applications, with smaller companies averaging somewhere around 73 of those. But Dan, how has InfoSec evolved to meet this challenge? Yeah, so companies large and small, domestic and global, they're putting more apps and thus more features and more capabilities into their customers and their employees' hands, um, whether that be through a mobile app or through client-side features, or um, in some cases, especially gaming companies, through desktop apps. So InfoSec teams, they're in a position where they have to think about securing the apps that live outside of the traditional security perimeter. Um, and um, as a result, in the last few years, thinking has evolved to where, say, roughly half um, of InfoSec teams are thinking about DevSecOps or shifting left. Um, in practice, right, wrong, or indifferent, that this shift or the shift left has primarily meant incorporating security through um, SaaS, DAST, or software composition analysis, um, or by simply putting testing or security analysis into their CICD or DevOps lifecycle. Um, and those are important aspects of shifting left. Uh, and the progress that SaaS, DAST, and software composition analysis or SCA vendors have made it's important because they've essentially forced greater cooperation between CISOs and the InfoSec teams that they manage um, and developers. In other words, it's sort of brought InfoSec teams and developers together. And that's not an easy feat. Um, InfoSec is traditionally uh, thought of as an impediment or friction in DevOps machinery. Um, and InfoSec in the past was the group you know, that said no or, or would say slow down. Um, and that type of advice isn't necessarily helpful to someone who's trying to accelerate their digital transformation efforts, or at the least is not the kind of advice greeted warmly by developers and app owners who are trying to adopt agile and DevOps practices. So the fact that roughly half of CISOs and their orgs are embracing this shift left mentality and that they're working with developers and owners to make applications more secure, that's excellent news. So Dan, sum it up for me. Where do you see the big problem here? Well, in, in some ways, market evolution itself is outpacing InfoSec changes. So, you know, first of all, if half of InfoSec departments are shifting left, uh, part of the problem is that half have not yet shifted left. The other problem is that even those who have shifted left have focused, as I mentioned, um, well, they've focused almost exclusively on SAS and DAST and, and um, SCA or software composition analysis. The challenge there is that vulnerabilities like log4j or even lesser known vulns and exploits such as Magecart show that testing and software composition analysis are not necessarily enough. What then is enough? 
<laughs> right. So that, that's the question. Um, so we've got to understand that the apps that we described above, the ones that the big and small companies are putting more and more into their customers' hands, those apps are being created by necessity. And those apps, by definition, contain working examples of how to bypass traditional defenses. And, and they really have to in order to work, right? So we don't need a SaaS, DAST, or a SCA tool to tell us that. These apps have, in a certain way of thinking, they have vulnerabilities, if you will, built in by design. And that's just what I mean by that is that in order to be useful to consumers, the apps have to be able to find their way through a perimeter defense in order to get to backend data um, or systems. Like, you know, a few simple examples, a banking app has to be obviously be able to reach bank account info. A gaming app has to be able to reach the gaming servers. Um, an airline app has to be able to access flight schedules, um, has to be able to take credit card info. And as such, it has to be able to um, collect and store personally identifiable information or PII. Um, and then of course it has to be able to book flights. The majority of the apps that you and I are using every day, like even to order a burrito, for example, need a way to process payments. And as such, we'll need a method to both store and access PII and a way to store and access credit. Then the apps have a working example on how to access or to put it the way you put it, how to bypass traditional security measures. What does that mean from the adversary's perspective? Yes. So the adversary or the bad actor, the crack hat author, the black hat, whatever we want to call them, if they can get their hands on an app that's meant to be used outside of the perimeter, then they can essentially steal the working example of how to bypass the perimeter and use it to access backend systems, PII, IP, or even the crown jewels of their victims. And of course, they can get their hands on an app, right? They can get their hands on an app the same way you or I can through an ever-increasing number of apps that are available in le perfectly legitimate stores, like the ones that Apple and Google provide us with. So how do they go from, as you say, getting their hands on an app to the end game, accessing the crown jewels? Right. Well, so all they really need to do is they need to run the app in an environment that allows them to tamper with the code. Um, so that might be as easy as running the app in a jailbroken or rooted device, um, or it could mean running the app in a debugger or even better for them uh, in an emulator. If they do the latter, in other words, run it in an emulator, they're well on their way to being able to reverse engineer the code in order to figure out, for example, cheat codes or access to backend systems or worse, how to modify the code to break, for example, a password check. Um, they could also, once they have their hands on the code, they could modify it slightly, recompile the app and sell the cloned app on the dark web or in some third party sort of, you know, uh, gray market app store. So if the bad actors do access unprotected binary code that can lead to any number of unhappy endings. How do you protect that binary code? Okay, so, so this is really the meat of the story and, and thank you for, the, for that question. So to protect the binary, you have to do three things. So first of all, you have to obfuscate the binary code. How do we do that? We add a specification, we, we call it a guard spec at compile time um, that transforms the source code, whether it's written in Java, C, um, real, real, just about any language and written in any uh, development environment and makes that the, the final binary executable, virtually unreadable to bad actors. Um, so in, in another way of saying that is we basically, we obfuscate the binary code. Second, we provide a means to monitor if and when our customers' apps are being run in an unsafe environment. Um, and by an unsafe environment, I mean what I mentioned earlier, like something like a jailbroken device, a rooted device, a debugger, or an emulator. 
And then third, we provide a means to react when and if we detect that an app is being tampered with or is actively attacked. Uh, we refer to an active attack as an attempt to reverse engineer code, um, and we refer to a tamper action as an attempt to put the app in an unsafe or suspect environment. So the reactions themselves are almost as numerous as you can imagine. So uh, just by example, we could, we could force a step-up authentication if we detect um, tamper activity. Um, we could uh, remove some functionality from an app in order to make it um, uh, safer from the our customer's perspective. Um, or we could even shut the app down completely. Then what I'm hearing then is that shifting left can mean more than just testing for vulnerabilities. It can be building secure software or building software that's protected from reverse engineering. Exactly. All right. So before we wrap up, one question comes to mind here. What about truly agile companies that are compiling software biweekly? Does it not become a burden to create and add what you call a guard spec? for each iterative release. Okay, yeah, so that is that is indeed the next question that our customers ask. Um, and, and by the way, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that for the top 10 gaming companies globally, for the top 10 banks, one of the top three uh, streaming and media companies in the world are among our customers today. And anyway, to the question, our, and this is a question that our smartest prospects ask before they buy our solution, um, and perhaps like most about our solution after they buy it. The answer is the guard spec once written can be reused for each iterative release. And even better, the guard spec itself can be modified with a simple toggle that allows each successive release to create a separate binary executable. So what that means is that each new release requires the bad actors to essentially, or the adversaries to essentially start over. Um, they have to contend with a brand new binary with each release whereas the uh, company that's using our software is only switching a single toggle in order to create that new binary. So the binary itself is freshly protected with new obfuscations. And I don't, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but the binary also has no edges in it. So there's no place for the adversary to peel back the security of the or the obfuscation that has been built in through the compile. Um, so as a result, it's, it's frustrating for the adversary. Um, and ultimately, those adversaries, they're humans, right? I mean, they don't want to do extra work if they don't have to. If they find an app that's particularly difficult to read um, or to put in a um, in an emulator, for example, they'll just simply move on to the other app. There are, after all, tens or hundreds of thousands of apps out there. Um, so we're making it harder for them to tamper with and reverse engineer the app to begin with. Um, and if the work they do is essentially rendered moot each time a new app is released, they're more likely to simply move on to an app that doesn't have app security or app shielding built in. You can go back to that same old um, bear analogy, right? You don't have to be, um, you don't have to be able to defeat the bear. You just have to be faster than the other guy running around, running away from the bear. The bear in this case being the adversary. Recognize that's a very hungry bear that might want more than one meal. True, true. So in that case, yeah, hopefully you're running with a, with a few hundred thousand apps. <laughs> All right, Dan, let's see if I've learned something from what you've taught me here today. If I understand you correctly, we're talking about a handful of things here. One, digital transformation has caused some, not all, but some InfoSec departments to think about shifting left or, in other words, to incorporate some kind of security into the development lifecycle. Two, not all security departments are, in your opinion, doing quite enough. With the pace of digital transformation accelerating, more security departments need to be shifting left. Third, even those that have already shifted need to expand their idea 
of building secure software to expand techniques beyond testing for vulnerabilities or doing software composition analysis. And fourth and final, that expansion includes what you're calling build secure software or build software that when it's put out into the wild, it's protected from tampering and from reverse engineering. You got it. Um, absolutely. I, I thank you for listening and I'm guessing taking some notes as I went. Uh, so yeah, that's it in a nutshell. Dan, terrific conversation. I appreciate your time and insight today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tom, for the opportunity to join and to talk um, about my newest and most favorite subjects. Um, hope your listeners got something out of discussion. And uh, if they have questions and they want to send me an inquiry, they can reach, reach me at, at Dishagru on Twitter or digital.ai on the web at uh, www.digital.ai. And they can read there more about what we do and how we do it. Oh, very uh, good. Thank so. you so much. Again, Thank the topic you. has been how to put the second to DevSecOps. You just heard from Dan Shagru. That's S-H-U-G-R-U-E for just those when looking to connect with him. Dan Shagru, Security Product Marketing Manager at Digital.ai for Information Security Media Group. I'm Tom Field. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this session today.